Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 255 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. So thrilled that you are here with me today. I really, really am. I always am. Um, but especially today because I am talking to Lisa Scottolini. And let me tell you, I worship this woman. I did before we spoke. And then it was really hard to get our schedules to align um, when her publicist reached out to me, And um, but I was determined. So I turned into that annoying pest who was like, uh, can we try again? Can we try again? It took months to get this interview, and it has been months since I recorded it, uh, since we've been moving and everything. But I am as excited about it as the day we spoke. She has such a dynamism and such an incredible way of looking at writing and how to satisfy the market that you create for your writing. And she kind of demystifies some aspects of writing. And I literally could have talked to her all day. So you are going to love that. Uh, what's been going on around here? Still in New Zealand, still in the same house outside the town of Russell, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Uh, like I said last week, we are on this little inlet in the Bay of Islands. There are four houses on the inlet and only one of them has a person living in it. Luckily, he's next door and he also has a puppy. So we get to see a puppy sometimes. We get to play with the puppy and the puppy is darling. It's a little border collie Springer Spaniel mix named Fur. Um, but otherwise, there's no one around. We don't really talk to Fur's owner either. We just kind of wave at him. The only really object we've been talking to that is not each other is fur. Uh, I have found in captivity that I really, really love long walks. And this is something I knew about myself, but where we lived in Oakland before for 15 years, there was no place to walk. I could walk. I could go down this one street and then up another street. And then I could kind of walk in circles around these blocks. But there were just a lot of places in my neighborhood that were not at all conducive to safe walking. And I couldn't, and I just can't stand the idea of driving somewhere to go walk. And right now, legally in New Zealand, you can't drive somewhere to go walk. But here I can just leave the house. We have this bushwalk. If you're looking at the YouTube video, there's these stairs you can see behind me. Um, it goes straight up through the bush, just this big hill that we're on the other side of, up to the main road. And then I just walk out on the main road. Most days that I walk, I don't even see another car, let alone a person. I did see a person once and they had a dog named Marshmallow. Again, I don't know the person's name, don't care. But the dog's name was Marshmallow and she was adorable. And I've been taking these long walks in the middle of my work day. I think I mentioned last week that I have this new improved schedule that allows me to take this long walk and a long lunch and 30 minutes to read in the middle of the day. And it's just been feeling pretty wonderful, which is good because uh, Auckland and north of Auckland, um, which is where we are, we're in the Northland, has been put on... Has, is going to remain on level four lockdown, the highest lockdown there is for at least the next two weeks. Uh, south of Auckland, they're hoping to go to level three, which is the point at which restaurants can open and you can get takeout. So I'm very happy for the rest of New Zealand starting on Tuesday that they'll be able to get takeout again. Uh, that's probably the thing I miss the most on lockdown. 
I can't remember if I mentioned this last week, but it's really interesting. We're not, we're not spending any money except on rent and groceries on our Airbnb rent and groceries. We cannot order anything online because we don't have an address here. This house doesn't have an address. Uh, we cannot go to restaurants. They're all closed. We have no other bills, which is an amazing feeling. We have our cell phone bill and that is it. We paid for cash for the car. We're paying rent to the Airbnb and we have our cell phone bill. And that's pretty, it's really low because it's cheap here. And that's it. That's, that's all we're paying for. Um, so that's been kind of nice. And, um, and yeah, and we're stuck legally. We cannot, we cannot leave this house for at least another couple of weeks. And I have to say that while my heart is broken, that New Zealand is struggling with this and it is very expensive for the country. Um, I read somewhere that it's, it costs like a billion dollars a day to shut down. I can't quite believe that. Um, and I did see it on Twitter and it was not from, uh, it was just from a person saying that to me. I have not researched that number, but it does cost New Zealand so much money to shut down like this, to lock down like this at such a severe level. But that is how they got rid of COVID the first time they had it. And that's why we're doing it now. And, um, and the cool thing about it is that when they got rid of COVID the first time and then had a more than a year of not having COVID, their economy rebounded completely to the place it was before. They didn't have any kind of recession. They didn't have any j- job loss over the long term. It all came back. So um, that's hopefully what this nation is doing right now. And I'm really proud of it. And I'm happy to be part of it. And there's a tiny part of me that says, oh my gosh, Rachel, you're so, no, it's a huge part of me that says, oh my gosh, Rachel, you're so lucky. And there's a tiny part of me that says, should you be feeling this much joy and being able to walk by the ocean every day for weeks? Um, And that tiny voice, I would like to say, yes, it is okay that I feel joy about that. That is marvelous. How lucky are we to be in this position in this amazing place? So just feeling a lot of gratitude as usual. Also, I've been getting my work done, people. Um, I'm 18,000 words into the 90 Days to Done book, and it's so fun to write. Um, Sometimes nonfiction, especially writing about craft, writing about writing, it doesn't feel like writing to me. It just feels like play. Fiction is often hard for me. Memoir is often hard for me. Writing is just hard, period. It's it's hard work. Uh, but writing about craft, oh, it's so it's it's just so yummy. I'm loving that. Uh, really quickly, quick thanks to new patrons, Louisa Brooke Holland. Um, I have Hollands in my family, in my New Zealand family, actually. So thank you, Louisa. And Neen Cohen, thank you. Thank you so much for joining over at Patreon and becoming a supporter of me and of the show. It means I get to write those essays about... Right now I'm writing about moving to New Zealand and there's a new essay going to come out probably within a week or so on entering New Zealand for a week and then exiting New Zealand (laughs) into the lockdown because it really does feel like we're staying at a beach house in Mendocino. We are not interacting with New Zealanders except once a week when one of us goes to get groceries at the grocery store. Uh, Otherwise, we could be anywhere. So did we move? I saw California quail on my walk the other day. Um, that was like, did we move? Did we actually do it? Yes, we did. Um, we also, I've seen so many birds. The Eastern Rosella, it looks like this little tiny parrot wearing a leopard print cape. 
Even if you're not into birds, look up the Eastern Rosella, R-O-S-E-L-L-A, because it is the cutest thing. Okay, I'm not going to bird out on you. Um, We're going to talk about writing, and we're going to talk about it with Lisa Scottolini, and you are going to love her as much as I do. Please enjoy this interview, and may it inspire perhaps a 15-minute or so burst of writing on your part if you're getting none done, if you're getting a little done an extra 15 minutes, an extra 30 minutes, those little minutes add up. I'm 18,000 words in. I started this book a couple weeks ago and I've just been doing three or four 25 minute Pomodoros a day, less than two hours of writing. Um, That's what can happen when we reliably sit down and do our work. So um, it's not good work. It's not great work. It's actually bad work. It's going to require a lot of revision, but it's words on a page. That's our only goal. So let's listen to Lisa talk about that and happy writing, my friends. Do you wonder why you're not getting your creative work done? Do you make a plan to write and then fail to follow through again? Well, my sweet friend, maybe you'd get a lot out of my Patreon. Each month I write an essay on living your creative life as a creative person, which is way different than living as a person who binges Netflix 20 hours a week, and I have lived both of those ways, so I know. You can get each essay and access to the whole back catalog of them for just a dollar a month, which is an amount that really, truly helps support me at this here writing desk. If you pledge at the $3 level, you'll get motivating texts from me that you can respond to, and if you pledge at the $5 a month level, you get to ask me questions about your creative life that I'll answer in the mini episodes. So basically, I'm your mini coach. Go to patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, to get these perks and more. And thank you so much. Well, I could not be more thrilled to welcome to the show today, Lisa Scottolini. Hi, Lisa. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm oh, so thrilled. I have been looking forward to this for literally months. Well, so I am me- a fan of yours, as I just told you. So this is just super. And I'd love to, I really want to encourage people to write. So this is great to be talking, you know, in this way. And hopefully we'll be encouraging some people and get some new voices out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, you're exactly the perfect person to be. I on am the show. perfect person. I keep telling everybody that. <laughs> Let me give an introduction for this perfect person because she Go ahead. Uh, Lisa Scottolini is the number one best-selling and Edgar award-winning author of 33 novels. She has over 30 million copies of her books in print in the United States and has been published in 35 countries. Scottolini also writes a weekly column with her daughter, Francesca Saritella for the Philadelphia Inquirer, which has been adapted into a series of memoirs. She has served as president of the Mystery Writers of America and has taught a course she developed justice in fiction at the University of Pennsylvania's law school, her alma mater, and she lives in the Philadelphia area. Eternal is her most recent novel set in Rome. It asserts that what war destroys, only love can heal. And I have got to say, so I have a few things to say, and then I'm just going to ask you so many questions. Go right ahead. Um, Ask me anything, poke away. (laughs) Number one, uh, again, thank you for that blurb that you gave for Hush Little Baby. It's a terrific book, and you deserve it. Thank you. Thank you. I'll I'll just say that. Thank you. Number two, Eternal. Holy cow. So Rome is one of my favorite cities in the world. Venice is my favorite city, but Venice is super cool. Agree. You just can't, you just can't. I know, I know, but Donna Leone has Venice, so I gotta get Donna Leone. She sure does have Venice. Um, but Rome is one of those places that my, my mother actually taught me to fall in love with. I, we were there and I'd always kind of thought of Rome as 
little bit dirty, a little rough around the edges. And mm -hmm. I mean, he saw it that way, but in the most incredible way that on every level of every surface in Rome, there is history built in. And so true. And you captured that so incredibly. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I really wanted to. And in Rome is dirty on every surface. I love it. You got to love the grit, man. You. You can't walk there in sandals because like you're wearing Roman sandals and then you have filth all over your toes. But I kind of love it. It's everything about it is so real deal. And I really wanted to capture that as a backdrop in Eternal. As you know, it's a love story against Italian fascism. So, but that's, that's about the book, but yes. So how, how did you get to know Rome so well? Is it a place that you've loved for a long time and go back and forth to, or did you? It was more that I knew about, I love, I love Italy. I'm Italian American. I've been there a couple of times. And when I found out about this sort of true life event that I felt really I didn't know anything about, I didn't know anything about it yeah. either. And when I learned about it, I was like, this is like a story that needs to be told. And then I, for 30 years, it was eating me up. And, um, the Italian Holocaust I learned about in college. And then I said, I got to write about this someday. So it was really more that the story needed to be told. And that had occurred in Rome, which, you know, besides being the seat of, Roman Catholicism is also home to like the oldest continuously existing Jewish community in Western civilization. I was like, okay, girl, you're going to try to write historical fiction now. Go. <laughs> how, how do you, how do you get that done? How are you so prolific and where and when and how and why are you driven by the muse? Are you driven by, you know, put no your muse. butt in the chair? No, I love your podcast. I mean, I think, and I love that you're dealing with these nitty gritty, like I looked at some of the titles, you know, this kind of, are you writing a chapter that you know you'll take out? Yes, I've done. I think it's really good. It's so important to me that we demystify writing because if you just love books and you're just a normal person and you see them on the shelf and you devour them and you're like, how do you get to write one of these? What is publishing? And I had such struggle early on and so much rejection. And I do think there's a bit of snobbism that people sort of put the drawbridge up. And I freaking hate that. So I love that you are breaking it down to the nitty gritty and really like granular, as everyone is saying now. <laughs> but the truth is, and I think you do point this out in your podcast, that there's it's very individual. Mm -hmm. Everybody does it a different way and every way is right. So I forget your question, but I think it was kind of like, how do you write? Yeah, how do you, how do you write? <laughs> you just go, you be, I tell you, look, I'm very insecure. So I've written like 35 novels and like nine memoirs. And the answer is be not afraid. I just say to myself, be not afraid. And I have a lot of dumb sayings. Like you would think I was like on Friday night lights, a little coach of myself. I love, that <laughs> I love Kyle Chandler. So <laughs> he's, he's the perfect man. He's so hunky. So I like, okay, get it down, then get it good. I have sayings. I read all of Anne Lamott. I love Stephen King's book on writing. Um, I, I return to those. And particularly as a writer, you're trying to try something new. So whether you're starting out with maybe people listening to this are, or you're like me, you have a 30 year career going, I really want to write historical fiction. And I, and this might be either career suicide or super cool or kind of both. <laughs> but then it turns out that it worked out and the book's doing great and the reviews are great. So, but I tried, I just was a newbie and I am a newbie and we all are, we all sit, in, right? We all look at your face. Just go, uh, when people see this face, right? We all sit in front of that blank page and go, I'm a huge, you know, Stephen Sondheim fan. You go, you know, we made a hat like, okay. Wow, who knew? 
and you just start. I'm very behavioral about that. We can talk about that and you just ask away or I'll just give a nonstop lecture and people will go, oh my God, I'm glad she's not my mother. <laughs> Gosh, I, I wish you were my mother. Um, <laughs> so you talked you talked for br briefly about experiencing a lot of rejection, which when people look at a very prolific, successful, excellent writer, we don't see, we don't see rejection. We see like, she's the, the queen. She has it all. It's always been, easy. Oh, right. we, we all know it isn't easy, but um, how did that rejection shape the kind of writer that you are now today? Well, first of all, I'm a count your blessings person. So I'm, um, and I was very broke and a single mom and a broke single mom, which is kind of redundant. So a little bit, <laughs> I don't have, I come by gratitude very honestly. I feel it. So yeah. it's not like I have to remind myself. And, and I do think it is humbling to sit down in front of the computer. That's why I love that people who just starting out, I want them to know that I feel the same pain they do. We all, and you can look at any novel. I mean, I read all the time and there's plenty of times I read books and go, okay, you'll never write a sentence that good. Right. Right. <laughs> like you could have 85 drafts and you'll never write a sentence that good. But, but at the same time, let's be real. I'm from Philly. We keep it real. Um, there's plenty of times I read books and go, dude, you need to work a little harder. This is not, this is not good enough. Or why does everybody like this? Why do I, why, you know? So the point is this, we all just sit down and try our best. And I think the, the key thing that people have to understand, because it applies, you can write it large, like, wow, you look successful. So you have everything together, which we all know is not true. But it's also that you look at a final copy, but you don't see a draft. You don't see the shitty first draft that was. You the do worst not see, as Lynn Lamont says. Yes. Do not give her, she says, give yourself permission to write the shitty first draft. And I always go back to Hemingway in this, where he goes, write drunk, edit sober. It's the only thing I quote with approval by Hemingway. But that, <laughs> I, I, enough already. We get it. You shoot things. You're cool. I, I like that you, you have to encourage yourself to get out of your own way and let yourself get the story out. Cause I don't write with an outline, you know, people say, do you know how it ends? I don't even know how it middles. Like, are you impressed yet? It's just horrifying and it's scary and it's nerve wracking. I mean, do you write with an outline? I write knowing that's how usually the inciting incident and the, and the, the midpoint. And that's about it. Well, I would love to write with an outline, but I just, I'm bad at it. I just, it always well, it just takes off on me and I can't control it. I get totally get that. And I also think I would not love to because I think it would be kind of boring. Like it would be like Mad Libs. Like, oh, this is the part where I fill in this part. And you're like, what? I don't, I don't want to do that. I love it when my writing leaves my jaw on the floor just because I never yeah. saw that turn coming. Like, are you, they're brothers? I didn't know that. <laughs> That's so funny. I know this will sound egotistical, but you know that it's not because I am. So Eternal is out now and it's an audiobook, which I love audiobooks. And so I got it. And it's interesting because I've never really, even in part, listened to my own audio. I've never, I don't think I could. Do yeah, I never, 30, 30 some novels never yeah. happened. But I'm so in love with this book and I was like born to write this book. So I listened to it. I want to be in this world still. And you realize that it's a performance that has nothing to do with your book. Like I can oh. say this is a great audiobook because it's, it's their performance. In any event, when I'm listening to it again, having written this book one at this point, like a year and a half ago or two years ago, I go, oh, that worked. Oh, that worked. Completely surprised. Like, and I think writers do that a little bit. Like you, I mean, I find that I maybe just, I'm divorced twice. Like I have huge powers of denial. <laughs> like people go, your husband's no good. I'm like, really? I think it's kind of nice. So what I'm trying to say is I can like read a book like I haven't written it. So I can go back to a draft and go, what is she doing? This sucks. Like make this better. And 
it's really just the coolest job on the planet. And I really want people to go for it if they want to. What but no pressure, no pressure, no pressure, no pressure. What is the hardest part of writing for you? The hardest part is every day because you go, well, if you don't have an outline, how do you construct a book? So the hardest part is what would happen next, which is what would the characters do next? And that ends up being the plot and that ends up being a characterization and it ends up being a voice, all three, all at once. And you know, like I always thought writers like you sit and fuss over the verb and all that. And I think people make that mistake. But when I do my first draft, it's not a mistake later. It's, but it's a mistake and get it done, get it down. You have to get it down. So you cannot polish your little precious verb child. You need to just sit, figure out what the hell happened. And that is very, very hard. I have a hard time with that. I Here's my tricks to answer it, though, if you want to know. Yes. I want to tell all my trade secrets. Yes, I want to please. Okay, first off, A, train your brain. Try to read a lot. Read a lot. And try to put your phone away when you're writing. You cannot be distracted. You can't get that little hit of dopamine. Look, I'm a Twitter freak. I love it. But you got to stay off it. So then you have that will get you through the part where you're going to be frustrated and you can't look away. You look away, then you're off the hook. You need to persevere. And so sometimes I will, one thing I do every morning is I lie in bed. I live alone with, I sleep with four dogs. Now you know way too much oh, about it. <laughs> but they're very used to this. So I just lie there and I think what just happened in my book, because I find that I'm fresher in the morning. It won't come at night sometimes. It's kind of diminishing returns. And I work with a word count, which we can talk about. But I say to myself, okay, now be in this moment. Think about these characters. What would they do? And I talk to myself or I write it down and I get up and write it in notes. And then I have, then all of a sudden I'll wake up or I take a shower. I don't shower much, but I shower when I need to know what would happen next. Because we're writers. We don't, we don't shower. No, we, what are we going to shower? We don't, I'm, I'm not wearing a bra for you. I really like you and I'm not wearing a bra for you. Well, I'm only wearing a rock because I'm in the co-working space because my house is torn up. But that's the only reason. That's why. Oh, I thought this was your house. Oh, this looks nice. No, this is no. The, the, the house is in absolute chaos. So I have oh, so many questions for you. Okay, so okay, what is what kind of when you're writing a first draft? What kind yes. of word count do you like to push? I know this is unique for everybody, but what kind of word count do you like to push for daily? Well, I'm lucky enough that this is my full time job. Although even if it's your full time job, because I had this job when I was working part time three days a week. And I will tell you that I finish a book in the same amount of time, so I can't explain that. But, so don't think it's all Nirvana, but you know, but in any event, my word count is 2000 words a day in first draft. I have to do it no matter what. I start at nine, I, you know, fart around my house, and then I, usually it will, it's about 11 pages. It's something happening. Something it's happens. the thing that happens. There's one thing and it happens. And it's about a chapter. <laughs> so good. Right. And, yeah. and you, I'm not allowed. I saw one of the previous podcasts on, you know, are you a slave to word count? Yes, I am a slave to word count. I am because I think if I gave my, I'm very uh, lazy and I don't have good self-control. <laughs> so I know if I let myself off the hook, I would be off the hook. And also I pay my bills. I've always supported myself on my living, on this living. And my daughter, I mean, until she grew up and is now a novelist herself. Um, so what I'm trying to say is 2,000 words or bust. Sometimes you finish at seven o'clock. Sometimes you finish at two in the morning. Here's the other good part. These words can suck. They probably will. It's just what happened next. 
And Yale Doctorow has a great quote. My daughter taught it to me and I'll butcher it now. But the idea is something like, you may not know like your route across the country, but you can get there on your headlights. And that is a really good image because you can't go far, but you don't need to go far. You only need to go 2,000 words. And for me, it can be 500 words. It can be 100 words for people who are still working and not just only writing. Right. Do 50. Because I honestly, honestly think that when you start your brain on this track, your brain, girl, your brain comes through for you. It works on it when you're not thinking about it. It works on it when you're walking the dog, right? You're nodding. I don't, you find only that. when you're t- consistently touching it. If you put it away exactly. for a couple of weeks, there's, it's not working anymore. It's, the That's brain exactly is also lazy. Right. And also the other thing happens, which is emotional, but for me, fear builds up. Yeah. I'm like, you don't know what you're doing. You can't write historical fiction. Are you kidding? Who are you kidding? Look at these big, thick books these ladies write. You can't be one of them. You know, can I be one of them? I don't know if I can. And I thought this was bigger in scope for eternal. There's like three families instead of just one. And it takes place over 20 years. And I've never done that. I'm very bad also at moving time in novels. I never can do that. I'm always like, my books take place in three days. <laughs> so anyway, there was a lot of challenges, but we all feel the challenges every time we sit down. And I really want people to hear me say that because it's really, really true. Have you ever had one of those gift books that came easy? No. Oh, no. Yeah. No, no. They're all, they're all hard. They're, they're every all hard, hard, hard in their own way. I'll tell you the good thing, though. When, I, when it gets happy and easy is when I've done the first draft. Isn't that great? Because I'm the same way. I love, I love revision. I want to revise. I would, me too. I'm I'm kidding. I would not actually do this because I think I could probably hire somebody to do it. But I, I sometimes wish I could hire somebody just to write the shitty first draft. (laughs) I know. I know. know. No, I, I feel the same way. And I'm in a bad mood in first draft. And (laughs) I, uh, I, and I live alone. That's probably why. But I, I'm anxious because I don't know what's going to happen and it's my job and I have to come through and all the, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, when I have a story, then I'm like, girl, <laughs> smoke a cigarette. I didn't even smoke. I want to start smoking just to run, just to edit and smoke. <laughs> I feel so proud of myself and happy. And then I just go, Oh, well, the, what I really do is I say, justify yourself. And this book was hard because I handed in a thousand page manuscript, which is a total insane. Wow. Oh. I know, I know, I know. And my editor was really who, great. Who was your editor? He's Mark Tavani at Putnam. And he's wonderful. And I'm new to him and he's new to me. I'm like, you're going to get fired, Lisa. This is it. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and, but he called me. He's like, I love the book. He says a lot of nice things, but, it, but the book needs to begin on page 300. And as soon as he said why, I said, oh, damn, he's right. And then that very night, I just tore the whole thing up. I'm in my office now, put it all over the floor. I don't have a lot of room in the floor. And I just did what I did to a second draft, any redraft, which I said, justify yourself to every sentence and every chapter and every, everything. I'm because writing down, justify yourself. I'll justify your, I actually said, I become very bitchy. You know, like I saw one of the podcast titles was about your inner, your inner critic. I, I think of it secretly as inner bitch. Mm-hmm. Like it's the person who undermines you, only it's you. <laughs> Great. I've had 10 years of therapy, can you tell? And I, and I was like, don't silence that person. That, that's when you need that person. You need that person to go, you said that already. You don't need to say it twice. You know, all the stuff that, 
Or that verb could be a little more active or... It's that verb we're trying to shut up in the first draft. It has to come back. Exactly. You have to invite her in. Yeah. You have to say, she's going to be your friend the second draft. The first draft, she's a bitch and you do not need her around. <laughs> she needs need to be out with your cell phone. Exactly. Picture. You need the person that goes, Lisa, you're so good. You can do anything. <laughs> That's my mother's voice. My oh, mother was the, oh my God, you can do anything. But I was the, it's not good enough. Are you that kind of mother to your daughter? I, I'm I am. You, you can do anything. I'm crazy about her and she's great. And I haven't read any of your uh, mother-daughter stuff, and I, that's my next. Well, I'll send you her yeah. novel. Her novel's called Ghosts of Harvard, and it's wonderful. It just was nominated for Best First Novel by International Thriller Writers. Don't so. send it to me. I will buy it. I will, oh, I will you're so well, It'll be on paperback soon, so. It's exciting. But it's what, really cool. Let me ask you, what thing in your life affects your writing in a surprising way? Every single thing affects it in a surprising way. <laughs> uh, I've had so many downturns. I've had a lot of you know, agita, as everybody does, you know, everybody gets it. I think it surprises me that I can wall that out. Um, this pandemic has been really difficult. Yeah. And that was a real test for me because I know people were ill and I just felt like for the whole world, I do think that when you write enough and you read enough, when you read enough, it does make you more empathic. And I'm kind of a mushball to start with. And it, this was hard to screen out. Yeah. So I was more distracted uh, I just am writing a thriller now and I was more distracted than I've ever been. It was hard. It was hard. But now I finally got my groove back. But look, we're people. Um, but you still have a deadline to make. And luckily, I make my deadlines. You say you write uh, 2,000 words every day. And is that five days a week or is it seven days a week? Seven days a week. You do seven days a week. I have no life. <laughs> <laughs> is, I've tried doing seven days a week and my little inner rebel just kicks up a total fit. And I You're have to take rebel. weekends off. Well, you're young and you have a life. And, and the truth is, you know, I look at it the, over the arc of my life, which is, as I said, I was a single mother. So it was all about her and she's great. Now she's growing up. She's 35. And what I'm trying to say to you is that for most of my life, she always came first. Like, so I picked her up at three. I wrote while she was at school and I picked her up and then I stopped. So in a way, and I think most women, when you get to be my age, which is 65, like you've given so much, honestly. And I'm fine with that. It was all of my choices and I'm delighted. I have a wonderful daughter and we're super tight. But now it's my turn. Mm. That's how I view it. So this is like, I get to write and I get to read and I enjoy having, I, I don't enjoy writing, but I enjoy having written. And I, where, say I love editing. So where do you fit in all of the authorial work, like the, the emails and the, the planning right. podcasts and, and things like that. Where does that fit right. into your life? I do. I, first off, I'm a good delegator. I'm great at foisting off work on other people. <laughs> <laughs> Teach me how to do that. Well, I'm, I do, I, my publicist in house is terrific. And I do have my, and I've started to work with my best friend now, who was my original publicist. And when I could afford to, I hired her. Your best friend, your I know. Best my, friend. I, and well, she's my, she yeah. works for me. Yeah. So I have my in-house publicist and I have my best friend, Laura. And I also, like right now, we're talking at the end of the day. Yeah. My morning time is kind of inviolate yeah. because if I'm just a baby and I find if I get a late start, then I start finding excuses and I can't do that. I just can't do that. I think it's really good for people to learn to say no particularly women, because I say to them, 
Do you want to hear my little thing that I say? Yes, I want to hear everything you, you ever shut me up? Like, you'll be, we have I, to we've, go. We've only got six more no. minutes, but I want, oh. you to, I want to hear okay. everything this you've ever real. known. This is everything that, that I say to myself every day. This is the most important one. You know how, um, if you envision like the movie, The Others with Nicole Kidman or any old Gothic movie where they're running around some big drafty yeah. house in the dark <laughs> and they have a candle and they have, that's lighting their way and they put their hand in front of the candle like this. And I always say to myself, you have to protect your candle. Your candle is you. Your candle is what you want. It's what you want. You want to be a writer? Do it. You want to be a geographer? Do it. You want to be an acrobat? Do it. You want to write historical fiction? Frigging do it. The world will not want you to. The world will go, but you need to get back to me. And I wrote you an email and you didn't text me back. And by the way, you have to repay your mortgage. All of those things that grownups have to deal with that are not fair. You have to protect your candle. So I think that's the most beautiful phrase I've heard in forever. Thank you. I like it. I made it up myself because I, it, yeah. because it's hard to say, say no, it sounds so negative. Then I started to say to myself, and I said it to my daughter, every time you say no to someone else, you're saying yes to you. But even that's a little too, oh, we get it. But when I saw that movie, I was like, you're protecting, and it's not the book, it's you. It's, it's you. Like, and if it goes out, if, if you move too fast and go around a corner and you don't protect it. Exactly. It I, needs you to. Now you're, now you're doomed. That's right. You go too fast, go around a corner. Yeah. You can't, it's, you can, it's, you, you're allowed. You're I have really allowed. Oh, you're so sweet. You're lovely. I knew oh, you were going to be like I knew this. you were going to be like this, too. Seriously, I, I I was bugging your publicist so much. She's oh, God, you should have written to me directly. Oh, so, no. That's me no, delegating no. too much. <laughs> I, I actually, I have I have a beautiful, wonderful assistant, and I love delegating to him. And he's and he's a friend also. And, yeah, and that's it, right? Helps. We're very, very lucky in that. Because we can't write and also work with administrative well, too much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I'm thinking about all the stuff I have to do later. This is the best part of my day by far. Um, <laughs> exactly. Can you tell us about Eternal for the people who have not read it? Yes. Oh, well, we don't have to talk about that. But oh, that, yes, yes, please. No, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, I always try to say it short. It's a love triangle set in fascist Italy. And it's about these three friends who love each other. And I was like, how are they going to, how will this girl get to choose between these two great fictional men? This was my fantasy for a year. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really good one. I thank you. I'm like, how will she choose? I don't know. I'll just fantasize about men for a year. <laughs> but it really, you know, it, it really raises these issues about family and law and justice and all that stuff. And I think I've, I said, that's what made me comforted because I said, Lisa, you've written about families in domestic thrillers and you've written about law and justice for a long time and you taught a freaking course in it. This is just the same thing, only a little bigger. Yeah. So try it. And that's, I got to try it. I'm very proud of it. But you're going to do it again. Do you want to do it again? I absolutely am going to do it again. Cause now I'm on, cause now, I, now I'm in, now they get encouraged me. <laughs> I'm, are you going to stay in Italy or are you going to move around? I think I want to stay in Italy and it's kind of, it's nice because when you are lucky enough and blessed enough to have cultivated a readership, cause believe me, I look on those Goodreads review. I look on any online reviews. I have a memorized. You tell me one. I know which the rest you said. And, uh, and luckily they're really great now, but I, you know, a few of them will say, I never, I don't like historical fiction, but I read her and I didn't want to give it a chance, but I did. And then I'm like, thank God, you know, thank you. Thank you, God. Um, and I'm thankful. following for you and your voice, which is the same voice in any book. Well, and what's great about that for people who listen to your podcast 
is that what it means is that you make a market for yourself. Yeah. Oh. Well, isn't that, that's what I've learned. And you're the only one who can satisfy that market. You're the only one who can satisfy it. And also that means you can't do it wrong because it's the you product. That's what it is. And that's why you don't even need to be competitive because we all help each other. We all lift each other. That's why I'll always blurb someone who's up and coming that I think is terrific. And I saw it a million blurbs from people who sell way better than I just wrote them letters. I'm like, dear Chris Bajelian, I love your books. Will you read mine? You know, and they came through. And we authors can do that for each other, whether we are published or unpublished. So that's what I love about your podcast. You're doing something and reaching out for people who are not yet published because we will get them published. If yes. Yes. Get, if they just have faith in themselves and protect their Kindle. All right. Unfortunately, I think that you have to be on every podcast that I ever have again. It's I would now love that, it. It's now the Rachel and Lisa show. Also, after I get out of here, I'm in California, but I'm driving straight across the country using just my headlights to get to you. There you go. In the living room. And then you can tell me. <laughs> All the other stuff. Lisa, you are a freaking delight. Oh, you are too. I think you're doing such a great thing for everyone. And you're so talented yourself. I hope they listen to every word you say. Everyone go to Lisa Scottolini. What is your blog? What is your website? Lisa Scottolini.com. Perfect. Yeah. All right. They'll find me. It's all about Scottolini all over. It's you're only me. The absolute best. And thank you. Thank for you, honey. Everything. Best of luck with everything okay. in your travels and your move. Thanks. Mwah. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.